Louise McSherry on 2FM. There is no escaping changing beauty standards, no matter your gender. Men's beauty and wellness may be on the rise right now, but Pharaohs have been exfoliating, moisturizing and masking eons ago. Uh, my next guest's book, Pretty Boys, Legendary Icons Who Redefine Beauty, examines male beauty ideals through history and challenges where we are today. David Yee joins me now. Hello, David. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because this is right up my alley now. Um, and I cannot wait to hear about this book and about um, where you're coming from on all of this. But first, your motto is beauty beyond the binary, which I love. But can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yes, absolutely. I'm the co-founder of a brand called Good Light. And at Good Light, we believe that uh, beauty should be gender inclusive and that everyone belongs in this conversation, no matter your background, no matter where you're from, how you identify. And we believe that beauty products or how you express yourself is not based on this binary system. Mm-hmm. Beauty has no gender. Beauty is for everyone to empower themselves and to look and feel their best. So obviously, with that as your ethos, it makes sense that you would write a book like this. But tell me how you came to actually think, okay, I'm going to put all this down, I'm going to write all this stuff down, and I'm going to make it into something that everyone can read. Well, first of all, this was a very ambitious endeavor. Never did I think that I would be writing a book um, and to becoming a historian. I have been a journalist for such a long time, but I, as a Korean American person who grew up in a city that wasn't very diverse, I've always felt invisible and I've always felt as if I didn't belong, as if people didn't consider me. And so it was something natural innately in me to be an advocate, to be an, uh, an activist. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to prove to the world that everyone wants to be beautiful, that everyone wants to feel considered, celebrated, no matter what their aesthetics. And this was super important to show examples from history throughout time, throughout cultures, and show and prove that everyone has wanted to do this from the history of time, um, throughout the history of time to now. Yeah, because I I suppose if you were just looking at very recent history, you might think that it's always been the way that kind of, you know, men or masculine presenting people have not been really involved in the beauty conversation. But obviously, that's not true. So can you give us some examples from your book of people through history who have proven that it's not true? Absolutely. Let's go back 50,000 years ago to our Neanderthal forefathers slash cousins. These were very sentient beings. These were beings with high IQs and historians have deduced that because they love to express themselves with makeup. They daubed their faces with foundation, ground pyrite or very colorful rocks as a use of highlighter. Yes, these low browed Mm -hmm. beings were using highlighter to accentuate their clavicles to their brows, to their cheekbones. And from that, we can tell that they weren't just, uh, you know, grunting um, beings who didn't have thoughts or feelings. They had high emotional intelligence. And this was 50,000 years ago. Wow. And then we go to our Viking brothers. I mean, the Vikings were known to be fierce. I mean, in all of historical context, we know that they were over six feet tall. They're brawny. They were warriors, but they're also beauty boys. They mm-hmm. were pretty boys who were obsessed <laughs> with their aesthetics. Next to their sword and shields, they had grooming kits, which had toothpicks, tweezers, brushes for their beards and their hairs different. 
custom made. And this really showed that these Viking warriors also cared deeply about how they presented themselves. Every Saturday, they called um, Saturday Logger Dog, which I'm mispronouncing, <laughs> but that literally translates to bathing day. And they would disrobe and an entire day was meant for them to just cleanse themselves, wash their <laughs> hair. And that was considered a little sacrilegious during the time because Anglo-Saxons thought that disrobing was unbecoming. Oh, But let's go to Asia too. You know, in the 600s, we have the Huarang, which translates to flower boys, which is pretty boys. And these were the fiercest assassins in Silla, which was one of the kingdoms in, in Korea. And the king specifically chose beautiful men because he believed that these men had Maitreya, who was the most beautiful Buddhist god inside them. So he thought that they were resurrected with his spirit. And so they came into this assassinship and they beautified as a spiritual practice. And I mean, they were great off and on the battlefield with their swords, their shields, but they also used makeup. And we can go on and on and on. Yeah. And there's so many other references and examples throughout the book. So then when did it stop? When did like when and who decided that then that men shouldn't maintain these beauty practices? Short answer, it was the Enlightenment period in the Western world. And this was at the end of the 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, let's talk about, you know, Britain and the UK. There were these amazing pretty boys, the influencers of their day called the macaroni and the macaroni were these men who wore bigger wigs wore makeup wore velvet you know black patches i live for this clothing. look by the way this is like i love the I... macaroni are so Stunning. exceptional <laughs> but they they were you know obsessed upon during their time period there were magazines dedicated to them portraits art people loved to hate them they were haters but the thing was at the end of the 1700s they were despised and disposed um that's when the enlightenment period really did take over it was all about science reason politics and being cerebral and so these men truly wanted to differentiate themselves from everyone else. And the easiest way to do that was to say that we are holier and better and smarter and more powerful than women. This is the first time that they actually published a female skeleton. And that was important because they wanted to prove that the female body was smaller and their, their heads, their skulls were smaller, which meant that they had smaller brains. And they wanted to really prove that men were at a higher hierarchy and women were less than and incapable. This was the first time that the gender binary was really defined in Western culture. Wow. And that was pervasive throughout the 1800s. And uh, which meant that anything that didn't go into science, reason or uh, politics was despised, it didn't really help the conversation. So makeup or frivolous things like aesthetics were considered, you know, less than mm -hmm. and then the world wars came about, right? Um, we have colonization, imperialism, we have mass violence happening. Europeans went to foreign soil and wanted to uh, place there and plant their flags on onto these uh, foreign nations. And what happened in these nations were that these uh, native people were being uh, eliminated. Also, third gender or gender non-conforming non-binary folks were also uh, forced to conform. But what also happened during this time was hyper-masculinity, hyper-femininity. You know, in America, in, the, in North America, in the U.S., during World War I, 
was when men were shipped off to war and women were forced to go into the workforce for the first time. And so women were replacing men in factories or the postal service. And this is when propaganda began with the makeup cosmetics industry. Brands like Elizabeth Arden and Tangi had these, uh, these, uh, these propaganda tools that said it is anti-American or unpatriotic for women not to be hyper-feminine. If you're not wearing lipstick, if you're not doing your hair, wearing pantyhose, then you are not helping the cause. We're in a war right now. You need to be cheerleaders for the men. And so the men at war didn't want to also feel eclipsed or replaced. And so women were supposed to be their pinup girls. That's Mm -hmm. when the pinup women started to occur because they were supposed to be hypersexual, hyper feminine, so that they could really uh, stroke the egos of these men who felt as if they were being replaced. That's all to say that this propaganda was so powerful and it was extremely sticky that in 2021, we by and large still perceive yeah. makeup in a certain way because before this time period, right? Women who wore makeup were considered sex workers. So it wasn't even something that women used. Makeup wasn't something that they used casually. Mm-hmm. And so it all changed during this time. But I mean, in the past 200, 300 years, we've culminated to this point where still the gender binary and gender roles are very distinct. Wow, that's so interesting. It's so interesting to hear those things because, as you say, we are living with the effects of those decisions, those cultural movements now, like as women and as men and obviously as non-binary people, especially as non-binary people. I mean, I think it's fair to say that non-binary people really got the worst deal out of all of that. Um, So I I was listening to an interview with you earlier today and um, I was really interested in hearing you talk about the male gaze, not as it pertains to women, because we talk about the male gaze as as feminists and as women, we talk about it a lot and the way that it impacts the way that we behave and the way that we live. But I hadn't considered the impact that the male gaze has on men. And I'd love to hear you say a little bit about that. Yes, I feel as if men... Women, our entire culture is based off of the male gaze. I mean, think about it. Men do certain things, certain rituals, not to impress women necessarily, but to get a nod of approval from other men. Mm -hmm. And so if it's like, okay, can I wear these sneakers? What do you say, friend? Is this cool? They're like, okay, yeah, you could do that. Can I be into skincare? What does my best friend think? Oh, you think it's cool? Okay, I can do it now, right? So not only are women, we know that women are affected by the oppression, the oppressiveness of the male gaze, but men are too. I mean, think about fashion. And I always go back to the Kanye West effect. When Kanye West wore a leather kilt on stage, it was auteur. People were like, what is going on? But Kanye West had a ripple effect because he created this entire idea that it's okay for men to be flamboyant, to dress Mm. in high fashion. I mean, before that, I feel like in the 2010s, before the 2010s, men weren't at front row at Fashion Week. Men weren't wearing Louis Vuitton or Chanel, or it wasn't cool to care about high fashion. But after that, by and large, he gave permission for other men to participate in this. Mm. So men always need permission to participate in different activities. It's so interesting because I said this to my husband at one stage. I said, you know, it's funny because you meet men and they have a certain, say, standard of style or um, appearance. And then often what happens is they meet a woman and that changes or they meet a partner and that changes. And largely, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, she improved him. But I actually don't think that's what it is. I think it's that... Often men have ideas about what they might like to wear. So they might see a cool, maybe slightly flamboyant jumper or shirt or 
pair of shoes or whatever and think, oh, I'd like that, but I don't, you know, maybe the lads would slag me off and they don't, they don't quite have the courage to make the purchase and put it on their body. Whereas when they have a woman beside them or, or you know, a partner of any gender, they, the partner might say, no, definitely wear that. You're going to look amazing in that. And they actually just need like that little extra push. And that is all down to that pressure of like, what are the lads going to say? Exactly. And I think that we don't talk about this enough, just how men are also subjugated to the same pressures Mm. and they want acceptance and men are also equally as insecure Mm. as any other gender. And I think that we don't talk about this enough, how oppressive the male gaze is. And and the male gaze really does seep into every crack and pore of our society, of our livelihoods. And so I think that when we're conscious of that, that's when we are able to truly, you know, break free and be free as men are masculine-identifying people to understand what masculinity is and define our own masculinity on our own terms, not from anyone else. Well, speaking of that, um, you know, within the title of your book, um, you know, it's called Pretty Boys, Legendary Icons Who Redefine Beauty. Um, I'm interested in your use of the term pretty boys, because I know that's that's a term that certainly has been used in kind of a derogatory fashion previously. Um, so tell me about your choice to use that in the title of your book. What an amazing question. Thank you for this question. I've been called a pretty boy all throughout my life facetiously as if it was a put down, as if it was something to take away my agency or my power or to shut me up. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you call another guy or mask identifying person, a pretty boy, that really is supposed to be piercing and cutting. It's supposed to uh, really pierce at your masculinity and pierce at your manhood or what have you. I wanted to take back that power Mm. and said, being a pretty boy is not weak or less than being a pretty boy is empowering and fierce, right? And we see this throughout history, right? Uh, These powerful men from pharaohs to rulers to warriors, they were able to come to terms with their inner and outer power right? Because they're so confident on the inside, they were able to show that fiercely on the outside. And my conclusion that I met that, that I made throughout history is that these powerful rulers or warriors or change makers were only able to do that because of their aesthetics, because they were able to promote their own confidence. When your inner confidence seeps to your outer confidence, when you're able to merge the two, that's when you're unstoppable. And that's when you're a pretty boy. And that's when you know that you can change the world. Well, I absolutely love it. And I have loved talking to you. As I said, the book is Pretty Boys, Legendary Icons Who Redefine Beauty. I'm My guest is David E. Thank you so much. Have an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you so much. And your makeup is popping. Ah! Thank you. <laughs> Louise McSherry on 2FM.